uh, we, we, we're just picking right back up where we left off. We were in Revelation 4 last week. Yesterday, as it turned out, I was already thinking about this and then just happened to work out this way. Yesterday, uh, our children had the TV on. I mean, Dana and I didn't have the TV on. They had the TV on. And there was, uh, before the football got started and everybody was watching their games yesterday afternoon and last night, they were watching a show on the History Channel and it was about conspiracy theories. And conspiracy theories, especially in regard to uh, what information the American president has access to. And there was, and there was a big discussion about this rumor of uh, something along the lines of a book that just has all the answers that presidents have access to. You know, like who really shot JFK and what's the deal on this and what happened at Roswell with the alien. And, and it, like it's all explained there. Kind of a presidential uber secret scrapbook and, uh, and then maybe even plans for what's ahead and, and kind of the world plan. And, uh, you know, I, I remember hearing an interview with a guy that wrote a book about conspiracy theories. This is, oh, 15 years ago. And, and he said that, you know, as he researched it, it seems like the reason that people are so taken with conspiracy theories, and they always have been, it's not just a 20th century thing, 21st century thing, it's not just an American thing, that there have always been these kinds of theories about there's a group somewhere, you know, that runs everything, is because there is this deep-seated need on our part to know that there's a plan. And, you know, even the thought that there's a group with the plan, that I don't want that group to have the plan, is still at some level reassures us that there's a plan, that the crazy things happening happen according to some plan. Now, here's what we're about to read. John, the apostle, through whom God wrote Revelation, John has a vision of the heavenly throne room. Now, now think about this. What if the plan actually was a document? Not the presidential book, but what if the plan was an actual document? In this vision, John sees the plan. And he's confronted with no one can get to it. And if no one can get to it, then life and all the suffering and all the suffering in the first century of all these Christians doesn't make sense. And then the hero arrives. Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll... The four living creatures 
And the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Amen. Let's pray together. O Lord, we come to you, our Father. We come to one who is more inclined to bless than we are to ask. Please bless us with hearing. Please bless the man speaking to get out of the way that your word might flow out and do all that you want for it to do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I seem to be hearing more statistics than I ever have before about um, human trafficking in general and uh, child trafficking in particular. Um, Trafficking, really, you could call kidnapping and slavery. And... um, For child trafficking, some of it involves child labor, but most of it is for illicit reasons. You've heard these kind of statistics. I printed off a few this morning to have them in front of me. Here's here's what I saw this morning. U.S. State Department says that uh, child trafficking is one of the fastest-growing crimes in the world. It is the world's second-largest criminal enterprise after drugs. Uh, UNICEF says that the global market for child trafficking is over $12 billion a year, 1.2 million victims. National Center for Missing and Exploited Children says as many as 2.8 million children run away each year. Within 48 hours, one-third of those are lured or recruited into uh, prostitution and pornography. Last one, U.S. Department of Justice says that the average age for entry into... um, child trafficking is 12. So for every 15-year-old, you've got a 9-year-old. I heard someone um, with more expertise on this say that, you know, when you hear those kinds of things, especially, you know, Americans and like, let's fix this, you want to do something. And this guy said, all right, what if you could just get some kind of uber, you know, hit team together and just, just just kill everyone that does this? 
Just go, just go put a bullet in everybody that traffics children. He said that within a month, all of them would have been replaced. Because the market is so voracious, that if you took everyone out that does this, the vacuum would be filled. Now, that is an example in our day where even people who are extremely sensitive, even those who are not giving over to having a real retaliatory streak say, okay, um, I've got two options here. You, you may do this and not even consciously know you're doing it. I either do the math on that inside and I think about it and I feel it and I'm scared it's going to overwhelm me. Or I just kind of don't think or feel that so I can sort of have lunch and get on with life. And here's something to think about. One of the reasons, one of the reasons that we always need artists and writers, good artists and good writers, is because artists and writers and poets are the people in any culture who will sort of park in something that we don't want to think about or feel, and they will think about it, and they'll feel it. And you know what's interesting? That population has a high occurrence of suicide. Because sometimes if you really wade into how, how much evil and how evil the evil is that's out there, and you feel it, it's overwhelming. Especially if the prospect is, you mean if I killed everybody doing this evil thing? that in a month there's just a whole new crop of evildoers to do the same activities? Yes. Enjoy your lunch. Revelation 5 is presenting us with, on the one hand, someone looking at the prospect that there's a plan that makes all the evil and all the suffering, I'm holding the scroll, all the evil and the suffering make sense and no one can get to it and it devastates him. And then this wonderful thing happens. Uh, really, the two main figures in this passage, if I can call it an, an inanimate object, a scroll, a figure, uh, the two main figures in this text, besides the throne, which we looked at last week, are the scroll and the lamb. So let, let's think about this passage this morning this way, the scroll and the lamb. Uh, the scroll is mentioned eight times. Just John is saying the scroll, the scroll, the scroll, the scroll. He wants you to notice it. Uh, you know what a scroll looks like? This scroll is sealed seven times. Now, I've been waiting for a good time to wade into the number seven in Revelation. Uh, okay. The seven, seven is like a celebrity in the book of Revelation. Where do you begin? The Holy Spirit is depicted in Revelation as seven spirits. Shows up in this text. All the churches of church history are addressed as seven churches are addressed. Those seven churches represent all churches throughout time. Seven. Seven times in Revelation the phrase, the Lord God Almighty is used. Seven times the phrase, the one who sits on the throne, is used. Seven times the name Jesus is used. Fourteen times the name Christ is used. Seven times two. Now, of course, all of this is a coincidence. 
Okay, I'm kidding. It's intentional. And there are sevens that run all through the book. It's the number of fullness, completeness, uh, thoroughness, the, the whole deal, even the divine fullness. John is still in the heavenly throne room. There's the one who's seated on the throne. That was the subject of the sermon last week. And in his right hand is a scroll, and it's sealed seven times. Now, that is apocalyptic language for this is a scroll in the hand of God and no trespassing. You know, a divine document or even a, even a tomb. You remember Jesus' tomb was sealed? You don't break the seal unless you have the authority to do it. Seven sealed scroll in the hand of God. Who can open it? And let's look at what happens. Look in verse 2. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Now, a couple of things here. Number one, this term just came up that's extremely important in Revelation chapter 5, and it's the term worthy. The question is being asked, if, if this God who is like no other in this space, this throne room that is like no other, if he's holding a scroll and he has sealed it seven times, who has the right to break the seals? Who is worthy? That's the question on the table, right? And John says, everyone looks around and no one is. Now, I want you to think about that that if this is a physical object that depicts the plan, the plan for history, you know, over and over in, in this series we've been saying we've got to keep looking back at the Old Testament about where these images come from. In the book of Ezekiel, which we've already referenced in the series, there's a scroll. And what's in the scroll? The scroll contains divine judgments. This scroll is that kind of scroll, writing on the front and on the back. Earthly scrolls typically aren't like that. The scroll of the divine judgments. And by the way, when the, when the scroll starts being opened in the next passages, guess what happens? Judgments start to be unleashed. This thing is sealed seven times. Who can open it? No angel can open it. I mean, angels who've never sinned, ever, they can't open it. They can't look into it. The four living creatures that we tried to describe last week, they can't take it. They can't look into it. No one in heaven and no one on earth. Now, how does that affect John? I really want you to see this. Look in verse 4. I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Now, I hope this is not irreverent, but... I believe this checks out. It's as if, for just a little bit, John forgot all these things that Jesus taught him. I don't mean he wasn't a Christian anymore, but what I mean is that it was so powerful to him to think, okay, I have peers, I have closest friends who have been murdered simply for following Jesus. 
And, you know, not just Christian witnesses from that time, but non-Christian witnesses attest to the fact that, hey, in the first century Rome, when it was not, you know, not super uncommon that if you had a child that you didn't want or you had the wrong kind of child, that you would leave your child out to be exposed and that it was the Christians, the first and second generation Christians, who, you know, they might be on the, just on the way to the, to the market, on the way to go run an errand, and they would see an exposed infant and they would take that infant, and that was the next member of their family. Non-Christian historians attest to that. And John knows that people like that are getting dragged off and persecuted and tortured and martyred. John knew the apostles that were getting martyred. And it's the depiction of what if my friends the dearest people I've ever known are being dragged off and killed, really the people who are the hope of this world, and there's no plan. And that Rome can be as big of a bully as it wants to and nothing ever happens to pay for it. What if nobody can get to the information? Not just open it, just that they can't even peek in it and give you a snippet about it. I, you know, I, I was studying this and I thought about you remember um, Paul Simon, the song Slip Sliding Away? Dated reference, lost on younger congregants. For those of you 40 and above, do you remember the song Paul, uh, Paul Simon sang, Slip Sliding Away? Now, this is the kind of thing you'd hear on the radio. The, the last stanza says this, God only knows. God makes his plan. And what's the next line? The information's unavailable to the mortal man. Because even in that song, he's asking why questions and the information's unavailable. Now, before, before we leave this thing about the scroll, I, it's important for us to stop and, and kind of let this get into you. That scroll with writing on the front and the back is not just a story about big sweeping epics of history, the Roman persecution of Christians. It's the details about us. I mean, here's what we're saying. When you look at injustice, not just in the world out there, but maybe it is big things in the world out there. Syria, for instance. When you look at what's going on in Syria and you say, you can, and by the way, you can say this as a Christian or a non-Christian, or you don't know what you are, to say, look, if God is really God, if God has all this power, if God's as good as He's supposed to be, why doesn't he do something? But it could be way more personal. It could be that somebody really, really did an injustice to you. Somebody may have uh, cheated you out of a ton of money. And it may affect, really, it may financially affect you for the rest of your life. And... Um, by the spirit of the law, they were cheats. By the letter of the law, they got away with it, and they have no remorse. And there's just this big, fat injustice sitting in the middle of your life, and it seems like it never gets dealt with. What if, what if my life and my story is written on that scroll and no one can get to it? The thought of that devastates John. And I want to say this to you. If... If we don't keep going with what this text says, with what God let John see, it will break your heart too. If it doesn't break your heart, you're not doing the math. 
So what happens? Okay, the question on the table is, who is worthy to open the scroll? Who has the right to open up God's plan for a big fallen world and enact the plan so that this all makes sense? Verse 5, one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, this is one of those 24 elders sitting in the 24 thrones around the throne. One of the elders sees John melting down and says, You don't have to weep. And When you picture this, in your mind's eye, don't picture crying. You know, there's crying and there's weeping. And people in the Eastern Hemisphere know how to weep. When you read that in the Bible, they don't, you know, they don't sniffle and kind of dab. They rend their garments. He weeps if no one can get to the plan. And this one elder says, don't weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, this is language out of Genesis 49 when the patriarch Israel spoke about the destiny of the 12 tribes that that the ruler would come out of Judah. This elder says, don't worry. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he can do it. The root of David from Isaiah 11, Messianic prophecy. He's got it. Okay, so we're bracing ourselves for this vision of strength. And so John looks. Here's this throne, this shining one on it, the sea before it, and there's a lamb. Now, again, for your mental picture, it's not a sheep. It's a lamb. Like a middle schooler can pick up a lamb. And it's a lamb that looks as if it's been slain. Now, we don't know exactly what that means, but, I mean, in this cultural setting, and especially with all the Old Testament behind it, a lamb that had been slain would be a lamb with its throat cut or with its side pierced and blood down its neck and its front. So I would take this to mean John looks. Who can make history make sense? Who can make injustice make sense? There's a lamb with matted blood down its front standing there. It has seven horns. And what did we just say? Seven is fullness. Seven is the divine completeness. The horn is the Old Testament symbol of strength. Seven horns. Seven eyes, which are the spirits of God, which we just said is showing us what? The power and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's who he sees. Not the strong lion figure. Now, this is the lion of Judah. He is seeing the lion of Judah. The conquering lion of Judah is a slain lamb. Very important. And here's one of these verses that, you know, if you read in the Gospels and everything is leading up to the crucifixion and then you get to where Jesus is crucified, there's so little detail. 
I mean, typically the gospel writers just say, and they crucified him. And you're thinking, this is the central event of human history, and you're not going to elaborate? They just, they just state it. Okay, look in verse, look in verse uh, 7. And he went, he is the Lamb, and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Now, after he does that, what happens? And the lean and mean way, uh, way of saying this is that when the Lamb walks over and takes that scroll, Revelation goes into fifth gear. Everything in this book es- <clears throat> escalates at that moment. When he takes that scroll, the worship service that was already going on begins to radiate out in concentric circles. And, and words just don't do justice to what happens here. The praise is, on the one hand, it's theological. Let me just read one part of this that said, this is, this is so amazing. On Mount Sinai, when God brought His people out of slavery in Egypt and they gather around Mount Sinai, they can't come up on it. Moses represents them up there. Before He gives the Ten Commandments, God says to Moses, you tell them that they are my treasured possession and that I'm making them a kingdom of priests. Now, there were were priests. There was a clergy. There was a priesthood in Israel. But He says... You tell them, you tell the men and the women and children that I just brought out of Egypt to this mountain, I'm making them into a kingdom of priests, but they were all Israelites. Now look in verse 9. When the Lamb takes that scroll, this is the song that bursts out. Okay, who's worthy to open that scroll? Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. Why do you get to open it? You were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. This is nothing less than the heavenly throne room saying, Lamb of God, because you were slain, because you're the only one who deserves to open that scroll, there's going to be a global kingdom of priests. Some will ethnically be Israelites and some will be Chinese and some will be African and some will be American. The blessings of Abraham are going to fall down and rain down on people of every tongue and tribe and people and nation because of what you did, Lamb of God. There's going to be a new Israel, and the Israel's going to have people of all kinds. And what was a worship service right around the throne? In, in our terminology, we would say it goes viral. Um, first, it's the four living creatures. Then it's the elders. That was last week. But then it says it's myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands of angels. You know, coming off some big football games yesterday, all right, no comments. Coming off big football games yesterday might be a good time to think about what is it like when 80,000 people, 100,000 people, 
just roar the same thing at one time. It's awe-inspiring. And angels in Scripture are figures that they could walk into downtown and they could sing it into rubble. What if you have 100,000 of them? Okay, but then the worship service goes out of the throne room. This is the first time we've stepped out since we went in. And where does it go to? Earth. And it says that every creature on the earth and every creature under the earth, every creature in the sea is singing and praising God, saying, Worthy is the Lamb. And then just the cherry on top is the end. Uh, at the end of the summer, Dana and I were treated to a, um, a great concert downtown. It was Jackson Brown played at the Peace Center. It wasn't quite solo acoustic, but kind of a, a minimal band. And it was fantastic. And uh, I've been listening to Jackson Brown low these many years. Um, I yelled a request. He played it. My, you know, my voice did go in his ear canal at one point, which, which I celebrate. But, uh, but toward the end of the concert, he sang Take It Easy. Now, the radio version is the, e the Eagles playing Take It Easy, but Jackson Brown wrote it, so he plays it in concert. And there's a part in that song, which I will not perform now, but where, where it, the words are, I need to know that your sweet love is going to save me. And when it gets to the word save, the band stops and the voice just kind of hangs there. All right, at the concert, when he, and his voice was on when he got to that part, I need to know that your sweet love is going to... And the band stopped, and his voice kept going. Uh, we and our friends were sitting up toward the front, but someone almost at the very front to our right, this guy, by himself, with no one else yelling, came up out of his seat, and he yelled in a way I've never heard in a concert before. He, just, he didn't go like, yeah! He just went, ah! It was as if his enjoyment had just gone supernova and physically and physiologically just could not be stopped and he just went, ah! At the end of this text, these four living creatures that we met last week, what happens? Look, look at the concentric circles. The ones closest to the throne, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, the myriads of angels, everything and everybody on earth. And here are these four living creatures with these bowls of incense that are the prayers of the saints, and we'll get to that later. Holding these bowls, see this worship service going all over the cosmos, and what do they say? Amen! Now, what are we to do with this? This is one of the takeaways. If we don't see what John is depicting here, not of his imagination, what God let him see and record, honestly. He says, I'm a witness. I tell you what I saw. If we don't come to grips with this, here's what can happen to us one day. One day you might have a friend who's murdered. I don't mean die of natural causes. I don't mean die in an accident. You might know someone who's murdered, and the murderer never comes to justice. Or you might undergo that kind of financial injustice where you reap the whirlwind and someone else kind of gets off scot-free. If you're a parent, you might, ha you might have a child. Your child might be violated one day. Perish the thought. But that's the world. 
And if what John saw doesn't get into our bones, it's very probable that if, if a bomb like that goes off in our life, we will finally look up and say, let me tell you what I've learned. Churches are, churches are country clubs for people who don't think anymore. Churches are country clubs for people who do not have eyes in their head for how the world really is. And here's the thing. The world has always been this way. When God said, don't eat that fruit, it's so that the world would not be that way. But they ate, and it is. And here's the thing. If God is only a God who has all this power and all this goodness and there's all this evil and there's all this suffering and we don't see Him jumping in to do something, it will break our hearts. And we, if we let ourselves think and feel it, we may just anesthetize ourselves with fun. You can do that too. But if you do the math, it will break your heart. And that might be in the form of cynicism or it can be in the form of atheism. It could be in the form of suicide. All kinds of variations. And here's the vision. There is someone who is God. Those creatures in heaven and those angels would never say, all glory and honor and blessing and power and wealth be to anyone but God. And they sing it to the one on the throne, but they're singing it to the Lamb because He is God. And His throat got cut. Does that give me all the details about Syria and first century Rome and my life on that scroll? No. Do you know what it tells us? Is that He loves the world so much that when He could have stayed on that throne, He came off it and became a lamb and bared his neck when he had done nothing wrong so that all the ways that we have been evil, all the ways that we've contributed to the world's problems, that the judgment that we deserve doesn't fall on us. Because one day it falls. When the last seal is opened people on earth scream, let the rocks fall on us and rescue us from the wrath of the Lamb. Isn't that weird? Rescue us from the wrath of the Lamb. If you are here this morning and you're not a Christian, or you're not sure what you are, here's what I'm asking you to think about from God's Word. If God has to deal with the problems in the world, doesn't He have to deal with us? If the selfishness and the hatred that are the problems in the world have to be dealt with for the plan to come to a conclusion, then wouldn't we have to be dealt with? And here's the good news. He's going to do that. But the judgment that people like us doesn't have to fall on us. It can fall on the Lamb for us. That's what the Scriptures are celebrating. That's what we've sung about this morning.
But I want to say this too. If you are someone who has seen true suffering, true injustice, and you know, you can carve out a life for yourself in a place like Greenville where you, where you don't see as much as almost everybody in the world sees. And that's all of us. But if you are someone who has rubbed up against it or tasted it, part of the good news is this, is that one day Christ comes and He enacts the vengeance that we may not. Because He deserves to open the scroll. And if that's true, here's what I can know. Even if I'm in suffering and I'm asking a lot of why questions, I can know that life makes sense. It may not make sense to me. I see through a glass darkly. But the details of my life are written there, and he knows it and he enacts it. The head of the church is Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb who was slain. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, some in this room may, uh, may be sitting and listening and this, this doesn't resonate, it doesn't land as much. There may be some seated here who feel this down to their bones because of suffering or evil or injustice that they've experienced. Lord, all this is known to you in a way it's not known to us. And we pray that you would give us something that we can't produce of ourselves. Would you enable us to entrust ourselves to you, Lord Jesus, to bow down and to worship you as lion and lamb and Messiah and conqueror and to know that you are God enough to do anything. You are man enough to be killed on our behalf to right all wrongs one day. You can be killed to bear the suffering for people like us. We pray this would get down into our heart of hearts. We ask this in your name. Amen.